it seemed totally unrealistic to leave a high-paying software job for something like making content around these silly projects that I wanted to make. But we started having conversations about, is that a you know, reality? Could that be a reality? Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. My name is David Bloom. And I'm Alan Briggs. And we're so excited that you uh, are tracking along with us today. But if you've been listening to us in this journey of, of creating a podcast, we are so thankful that you've been listening along with us. And so if you've been a longtime listener, but you haven't subscribed, I just want to encourage you to hit that subscribe button. You'll be notified every time that we drop a new episode and we drop new episodes each week. And if this has been valuable for you, we uh, would love for you to share it with your friends and your family. If it's an episode that might be specifically geared towards a certain friend, uh, we would love for you to share that on social media through a text, take a screenshot, um, we have this podcast on all different platforms. So thank you for listening with us. And we have a really exciting podcast for you because it's it's a little bit of a new territory for us. Today, we're interviewing uh, a guy by the name of Bob Claggett. And Bob Claggett has made a YouTube channel called I Like to Make Stuff, where he makes really cool stuff, really interesting stuff. And back in the day, YouTube was really just the place to watch cat videos or old people falling down or viral videos that were weird. But now there's all sorts of amazing content being created. Um, YouTube channels with huge followings. And, and Bob is one of those, a YouTube channel with a massive following. But you don't really think of YouTube in that way. How do you think of YouTube, Alan? Yeah, it has definitely changed. Um, I was not a big consumer of YouTube uh, till recently. I mean, maybe I'm old school in that sense, you know, more of a podcaster. Um, but man, it is crazy. Some of the followings that folks have. And uh, honestly, after connecting with Bob, after reading his book called Making Time, which is phenomenal for creators and creatives uh, and entrepreneurs, uh, just love this guy's story. And so, I mean, his his content is awesome. And truthfully, like, Bob is my kid's hero right now. So I watch Bob Claggett. I like to make stuff in his home, making stuff for his kids, his family. Uh, and he is just a cool guy, uh, such family values, just a good dude who's not uh, running a million miles an hour, but is you know running a couple podcasts, is all kinds of things. Um, so I'm kind of new to this, this whole content creation world um, through YouTube. So truthfully, I've not been a big YouTuber. Uh, and now I'm just kind of like, man, this is a really cool way even to build a relationship with my kids. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe through Bob, I'm sort of back into this. It's just a super cool interview. Uh, I've had a blast watching with my kids. So truthfully, it's kind of part fun, but part learning experience. So guys, you're going to love this episode if you liked it half as much as me. So uh, I get to interview Bob Claggett of I Like to Make Stuff, my son's hero right now, content creator, entrepreneur, author. He does a whole lot of stuff, but enjoy my interview with Bob Claggett. guys, welcome to the podcast today. I'm really excited about today's episode. A friend told me a little while ago uh, about I like to make stuff online and Bob Claggett behind all of that, all these videos, uh, is actually a human being, a dad, uh, and a guy that really just does like to make stuff. So we've got Bob on the podcast today. Bob, thanks for joining us. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. So, um, Got all kinds of stuff going on 
online, um, all kinds of stuff on YouTube, some podcasts, putting out content. And I just finished reading your book, Making Time. Loved it. Love kind of the story behind all of what you're doing. And that's part of this podcast. What's the story behind the leader? So just catch us up. Give us glimpses of your story of kind of where you've come from and how did you get to be an online content creator? Oh man, that's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a long winding road. Um, I went to an art school and I was going to do computer art, uh, whatever that meant at the time. It was a very, very long time ago. So it means something different now, but um, as I finished up school, I ended up starting a web design firm with a friend of mine. And then we did that for years and then we sold that. And then I got another software. I got deeper and deeper into software, um, over the years. And so I ended up doing software development for about 15 years after art school, which was a little bit of a departure. And then after sitting at a computer for so long, um, and just being in, you know, trying to solve problems in this little rectangle in front of me for so long, I decided I really needed to get off the computer and do some other stuff. Started making some things again after kind of a, a hiatus for a long time. And then I started doing it more and more. And it felt like I needed to kind of justify that time because I had young kids. And um, if I wasn't working and I wasn't with the kids, it felt like I needed to have a pretty good reason. So I started making some basic content around what I was doing to try to share it with other people. That was a in my mind, kind of a validation for that time. And then it was just like, since that point, it's been like falling downhill. That's the best way I can put it. It's just this thing just goes faster and gets bigger. And it's not uncontrollable, but it's just been more and more. And I've gotten, you know, further from software and further from all the stuff that I did before. And I'm just more and more content um, and making more and more things. And it's just been crazy. It's been, oh, it's been really crazy. <laughs> I'm sure. And I mean, you, I can tell that you're having fun as you do this. You're leaning into projects that you want to be part of. And guys, follow along online at the end. Bob will share all the different ways you can follow along. But I just appreciated in making time how you led us into the journey of here's this passion. Here's what I'd like to move from, you know, staring at a screen to even working in my own home, including my family in what I'm doing and your heart for family just bleeds uh, in that. And so you got super practical in this. So a lot of people listening are wanting to transition, maybe their side hustle into a passion project and maybe even someday their main hustle. So give us a peek into that journey um, from this being a hobby, something you like to do now, and then this falling downhill that you talked about. What, what was that <laughs> process like? Well, I mean, it, it got to where, you know, I was trying to do this thing as a hobby and I just wanted to do more and more of it. And my wife is amazing, super supportive and understanding. And so she was like giving me all the extra moments, you know, after work, she would, didn't care that I stayed in the shop for a little while longer to get something done my Saturdays and my nights. And, you know, it just, it was trying to fit it in and all the cracks. And, um, it just got to where I wanted to do so much of it. And there's just so many hours in the day, you know? And so it started making a little bit of money and then we had a few conversations about it seemed totally unrealistic to leave a high paying software job for something like making content around these silly projects that I wanted to make. But we started having conversations about, is that a you know a reality? Could that be a reality? And long and short of it, we got to a point to where it was worth a shot. And so uh, I go through this all in the book that 
you know, we spent about nine months doing what I call a sprint. And I basically worked two full-time jobs trying to see if I could make the content side work. Um, and, you know, we said ahead of time, this has an end date. This isn't going to go on forever. We're going to like check in on it. And, but between now and nine months from now or something, I'm going to be kind of absent. You know, I'm, I'm not going to perform super well as a husband and as a father because we're trying to figure out if this is something that we can switch to. And I, I always try to bring that up because I think it's really important not to let that go on forever because that can just destroy relationships and foundation in your family and stuff. I think having a, 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 a limited amount of time to be deficient is, is okay as long as it's towards something else. But I think if you let that go on forever, it could be really bad. So we did that for, I don't know, it ended up being like seven or eight months. And then at that point, the day job was just in the way. It was like, I got to get rid of the software thing. It just, it's dragging me down. It's slowing me down. You know, I don't want to do it anymore. And um, so made the transition to do, to creating content full time. And that was uh, three and a half years ago, I think. Um, and I've never looked back, honestly. Um, that was just one of the best decisions other than, you know, marrying my wife. That was like one of the best decisions of my life. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, I love when you're talking about the sprint, how practical you are with that. Because I think on one side, you could have unfair expectations that I'm just going to start a business and it's going to come easily. But on the other side, I think you could say you could feel trapped in that desperation of like, is this our new life forever? So just personally, that was super helpful to me as Stay Forth Designs is growing. We have to figure out at what point does the sprint start and stop? So if you guys are listening and side hustling, considering this, Again, the book is super practical and the, the sprint was helpful. Kind of that tension of that moment. Uh, Bob, I love in the book how you talk about teaching people things that I've just learned myself or are in process of learning. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's working. People are loving that. Look into it. I mean, 2.3 million followers on YouTube when we record this and some of your videos, 11 million or more um, watches. And so I'm just loving you know, the, the process of it like everybody else is. Um, but there are tensions with followers. So talk about some of those tensions of having a lot of followers. Well, it, it's weird. Um, so one of the reasons that I wanted to do this whole thing in the first place, like I, I've got a very, in my mind, at least a very clear goal and purpose for all this. But one of the things initially was I wanted to make stuff that I wanted to make. I wanted to spend the time doing my thing. The output of that was to influence other people, right? It was to show them that like, I wanted to have X. And so it's not that hard. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to make it. And then you may want to have Y, but it's not that hard either. So if I can do it, you can do it, go, go do it. Right. So that's the way I look at the content and and I make things with that intention. I'd put it out there. And I think the tension with the viewers really comes in when they don't get that. And a lot of people don't get that. And that's okay that they don't get that. But when their response is, well, you're doing that wrong, or, you know, you failed this, or that's ugly, or whatever, like, they're not hurting my feelings with those type of comments, but they're missing the point. And I think the tension for me is when what I'm trying to get across, not the project, not the technical things, but the, we are capable of more than we think. If that doesn't get translated, it causes a lot of tension uh, in the comments. And that's something, you know, me and I have a team now and we're all working to try to make that, um, obvious to people and try to get that idea across and not worry so much about like, 
what kind of joinery you use or like do you have the right screws or the right saw like none of that stuff matters the point is like if you have a thing that you want or a need that a problem needs to be solved like we're capable we can do it um most people i think are brought up in a way that they just don't feel like they're capable and so our goal is to try to turn that around in their heads and when that gets missed it causes some tension that's good. And uh, I loved this quote. You said, I have no responsibility to meet everyone's expectations. So freeing, I'm sure. And you probably have to remember that a lot as somebody, I don't know, just leaves a, a dumb comment or a hateful comment or um, frustrating, uh, I'm sure, in your mind. So how do you respond to haters online? Um, well, I've tried to respond to negative stuff online in a bunch of different ways over the course of this. And at this point, I don't. I just don't respond uh, in in almost every case. And the reason for that is I want at least, you know, looking at the comment section. Well, there's a couple of things. Somebody brought up one time and I heard uh, I think a guy named Hank Green said this. He said that his comment section is like his living room. And if you come into somebody's living room and you don't know them and you start calling them names and telling them how awful they are, you don't get to come back to their living room. Right. And yeah. so I look at my comment section in my community in the same way, I want that place to be inviting, just like my actual home. I want it to be inviting to people. I want them to feel safe and at home and at ease and, you know, like it's their home too. And so if there's somebody uh, that's coming into that situation with a negative attitude or, you know, if they're hateful or they're mean or they're whatever, they don't get to be there because it stops the community at large from being able to enjoy the space. So rather than engaging with a negative comment and telling them why they're wrong or telling them, trying to, you know, over explain uh, or trying to turn their mind around, the best thing that I found is just to remove them from the community or just hide them. Just don't engage with it because it sets a precedent uh, that I don't want to continue with people. I would rather engage with the people who are asking questions and, you know, looking for uh, community. And that's the stuff that I want to foster. And I don't want to foster the argumentative stuff. So I just avoid it. I didn't, I didn't always do that. I mean, it, I'm, that's where I am right now, <laughs> but I think it's better for everybody. Yeah. And super helpful for you who have navigated this journey and for many of us who are just heading into it, right? Just getting your first hard comment that hurts, you think about the next morning. So just appreciate that and kind of some of the practical things. Let's shift over a little bit to practices. We're always wanting to know, um, how do you do it long-term? How do you stay healthy enough to keep producing content, to keep loving what you're doing, to not burn out in the process? So Bob, what are some practices you have personally for staying healthy? Um, well, I mean, like uh, in the physical health side, I'm a runner. And to be honest, I don't like running. I don't think anybody really likes running. But I'm, I've done a few marathons, a bunch of half marathons. And the reason that I do those things um, is because I'm going to die at some point, right? And I want to push that down the road as long as possible. I have a family. I want to spend time with them. I want to be around and be active as long as I can. And by spending a little bit of time um, – I, I could work all the time. It's there. The work is there waiting for me. And I could do that. But by not working for a little while, it forces me to, uh, the running forces me to not work. And that forces me to take my head somewhere else uh, to think about something else, whether it's, you know, 
uh, audiobooks or podcasts or whatever, um, watching TV while I'm running. It gets me outside. And so I think the phys- there's a physical part to that that's really good for me that I just have to make myself do. But there's a, a mental part and kind of a spiritual part there that uh, forces me to let my brain not work for just a little while. And I think that is a bigger part of health than a lot of people realize, especially people who are doing a hustle. They have a startup. It can just be all encompassing. You know, it can eat up every bit of brain power that you have um, and every bit of attention. And it can bleed into your relationships and bleed into all the other things that you need to be thinking about as a human. And so having a way uh, like exercise or like a hobby um, to force your brain to let go of that stuff for a little while, I think is a pretty big deal. So for me, that's running. I would like for it to also be music, but I haven't gotten back to playing music a whole lot. And um, I haven't figured out how to integrate that back into my schedule. I used to play a lot. Yeah, good, good. Super helpful um, in that. Obviously, you have a wife that you love a lot that comes through in the book, four kids. So what are some practical things you do to separate or even integrate your family into the business? So um, integration is actually a, a little bit harder than you might think. I work from home, so it seems like it'd be really easy to integrate the kids and my wife into the work. But I also try really hard to uh, to separate the time so that, and, and I'm not good at this, but it's a it's an ongoing thing that I'm trying to do. So that when I'm with my kids and with my wife, I am with them. And I am not, you know, churning in my brain about work. And when I'm at work, I am not worried about if somebody needs a snack or if, you know, somebody needs to put their shoes on or whatever. So I try to separate those two times and I keep like a pretty normal work schedule, nine to five kind of deal, at least. Um, so that when I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I'm with my family, I am with my family. And so the integration is a little difficult with that because when I'm at work, my kids are at school. And then when they're home from school, uh, there's a couple hours of overlap there when they're doing homework and stuff, but then I don't want to be working anymore. So getting them into the videos, getting them into the shop is actually more difficult than I would have thought, given that it's all in one house. Um, but you know, I try to build stuff for them, and that often brings them into the process a little bit. And um, we've just done some renovation stuff, and my wife has been able to get in on some of that and we've been like doing tile together and you know painting and things like that so it's kind of a it's kind of a thing that i'm just always chasing trying to figure out how to keep them separated when they need to be separated but integrate as much as i can and i think it's one of those things you just have to adjust all the time appreciate your honesty i think we all are trying to figure it out and it changes maybe you feel like you have it nailed in a season and then it shifts again and the kids are older Guys, this is so practical. If you're listening in and you're planning a side hustle, currently maybe hustling too hard and feeling like you're heading toward burnout, super helpful to reevaluate um, where we're heading, how we're integrating our family. Maybe in some ways it's impossible or nearly impossible. Loved your focus in the book, Bob, about adding value. And there's so much uh, right now floating out, you know, out there in the ether about adding value. How do we add value? Keep adding value. Uh, you say, if you bring value with you, you become valuable. And I love that. Just keep adding value. But what mistakes do you think we commonly make around adding value to other people? 
Um, I think the easiest mistake to make there is being selfish about it. And it's, it's a weird, (laughs) it's a weird thing to think about. Um, a lot of people will ask me in the YouTube space, at least, how do you, like, how do you get seen? How do you get in front of people? And my response has often been, uh, don't promote yourself necessarily, but go to a place where there is a need and fill that need. And often that means going to someone else's video. And if you see questions there that you can answer that aren't being answered, like jump in there and answer them. And it puts your name right next to value for the other person. And I think that's the key where that can fall down and backfire on you is if you go into a place and be like, hey, I know all of the answers here. Check me out. If you want to see more about my answers than I know and how knowledgeable I am, go check out my videos. I think that is the wrong message. I think when you go into a place like that, a situation like that, and you just answer questions and you become a person that people start looking for, you know, like so-and-so is always going to show up and have the answer to the unanswered questions. Like they must be helpful and awesome. I want to find out more about them. And so I think the trap that we can fall into very easily is trying to add value as promotion. But I really think it's more useful to everybody involved to just try to be valuable. And I, and I think that really goes back to kind of a servanthood thing. Um, you know, servants don't, or, or, people who do for others don't typically do that for their own glory or for their own promotion. They do it because it's for others. And I think if that's your goal in, in adding value and being of service, then it's far better. Maybe not as like glitzy. Maybe you're not going to get all the attention that we might want, but I think it's better. Yeah, that's so good. And um, people can smell it, can't they? When you have that mixed motive, I'm going to act like I'm adding value and, it comes out kind of weird in that sense. So simple. Like how much of it just comes down to serve, serve, serve. And if you're, you yeah. talked about pain points, if you're meeting people's pain points, they're going to come back for more. You're more helpful. They're going to bring value. Uh, they're going to see you're bringing value with, with you as you go. Um, let me shift a little bit to money. I uh, appreciated how you talked about money and even again, the process of saying, I, I've got to feed my family. I want to do this in a smart way. Um, a lot of our listeners are hoping to do some of what you've done, at least this kind of jump of monetizing their passion project for others. What are some areas that we need to watch out for in regards to monetizing our passion into a business? Uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest traps is leaning too heavily on a single source of income. And I, and I think this is, this is a 2019 thing. Uh, it's not necessarily about really entrepreneurship or online anything, I think it's just smart to have multiple streams of income because uh, the job landscape changes all the time. The tech landscape is changing, uh, you know, stuff, you know, platforms can just disappear overnight, can be bought by somebody and shut down. And so I think if you, like I, we have a fair amount of uh, percentage of the income comes in through YouTube and YouTube related stuff, but that's not all of it. Um, and I want to diversify that even more just for safety and for expansion. But I think when you say like all of my money is coming from uh, Patreon or it's all coming from YouTube ads, or it's all coming from website ads that can be disrupted very quickly. You know, um, I, I have a friend who, uh, makes wooden things 
And he, he created a whole workshop and he has a bunch of employees and they sell all these things and they were taking all of their payments through PayPal. And this is online and in person and everything. And at some point, somebody at PayPal thought something bad was going on and they locked this guy's account, basically all of his money, wow, all of the income. So he couldn't get any more payments. He couldn't get the money that he was already owed. And it locked up everything about his life, not just his business overnight. And he had no recourse for quite a while. And that was a really good example to me of just not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, so I think, you know, as you're trying to figure out a, a new job or a side hustle or whatever, just making sure that your income is distributed over a few different places is just a smart thing to do. Super practical. Love that. Um, talk a little bit about the connection of work and rest and family. I can tell that you love your family deeply. I can tell you love what you do uh, deeply. You're working hard to both integrate and separate at the right times. But what do you see the connection being between work and rest and family? Um, man, that's tough. So rest is more important than I let it be in my life. I know that. Um, I know that I don't rest like I don't sleep enough, but I also don't rest enough. And those are not necessarily the same thing. I I don't leave enough time for my mind to wander, which can be really productive and can be a source of creativity. It's just to to be unoccupied. So I don't leave enough time for that. And I know, and I think that's a big thing that I want to try to get better at. Um, the thing about family, for me at least, and you know, you have kids as well, it can be it's it's they deserve you it's necessary to be with them but it can also be really exhausting right so sometimes you actually to be better for them you have to be able to rest from them uh, you have to be able to take some time for yourself yeah it's just a juggling act and i think at least i know it's not something that i ever nail down uh when to get enough rest and when to get enough break and when to you know uh, apply myself in all the right places but i i do often say to people, people ask about work-life balance. And I, I think everybody is typically looking for a balance, like a percentage. It's a, you know, it's a 40, 60 yeah. uh, work-life or Give whatever. Give me the easy answer, right? It's that yeah. easy. But I think honestly, the way that I look at it is it's a balancing act. It's a thing that is, it is plates in the air. You were always looking for what needs you uh, sometimes things are fine over here and you can ignore it, but you need to go over there. You know, sometimes my kids don't care whether I'm around or not, but sometimes they need me more than anything. Same for the business. And I think you can put rest and self care in that same equation and just say like, sometimes it's fine. I, I don't have to sleep for a while. Sometimes I need that more than anything, because if I don't sleep, everything else is going to fall down. So I think it's just, all of those things are something that you have to constantly be kind of pinging to check their, you know, is this okay? Is that okay? Does this need me? Does that need me? And just adjust, you know, be nimble and try to adjust on the fly. Yeah, there's no formula and appreciate that. And, and here at Stay Forth Designs, we say that rest is always important, but never going to be urgent in that space. And then discernment, just discern what is needed, you know, for you in, in that time. Um, you're talking about that juggling act. Uh, I loved in the book, you said, I needed the day job. I wanted the hobby and my family wanted and needed me. And I think we all feel that when I read those words, I thought, yes, like there's always seems to be more of us than can go around. Um, 
And so in that space of rest, we get to kind of offer ourselves back. Um, what about fun uh, for a minute? What's I, I know there's a ton of hard work behind the scenes. It isn't all fun and games and making cool projects, but what's the most fun thing about your job? <laughs> um, it is a lot of work, but honestly, it, it's all fun. I, I love solving problems. I love coming up with an idea and figuring out how to make it a reality. That just I don't, it gets me going. It, it is a lot of fun. And I have the perfect excuse to make things that no other normal person would ever make. You know, I, I really like transformers. And at one point I just randomly decided to make a giant Optimus prime laser gun. It's like four feet long. Why there's not? no reason for that. There's, Why there's not? no reason that that should exist, but I can, and it's so much fun. Like one day I decided to take a piece of hardwood flooring and make a katana out of it. There's no need for that, <laughs> but you know, I, so I honestly love the fact that I can pivot at any point and make anything that I want to, whether it's practical or not, whether it's, you know, sellable or not, whether it has a purpose or not. It, it's just, it's awesome. I love that. I love the excitement and fun in your voice. And even to know that your kids are watching their dad grow up being fulfilled, have fun, the passion of what you're doing. And so, um, and thanks for modeling that to us, to so many other people. I think we hear many times and, oh, it's going to be hard. And sure, there's work along with that, but uh, I can tell you love what you do. Um, just a quick thought for us, uh, advice, maybe habits or tools um, that people listening who, who want to monetize their passion, maybe take their passion project to the next level or whether it's coaching or whether it's, you know, whatever it may be to take something that they love and then move it into their passion. Give us a couple of habits, tools, or practices to stay healthy as we do that. Um, man, that's, that could be like a whole show in and of itself. I, th I think one big thing that I found that made a big difference for me was being debt-free. We went through the Dave Ramsey uh, whole plan thing years ago. And we had a whole bunch of debt before that. And once we got rid of that debt, it was life-changing. It, it really did affect um, the type of decisions we made, how we, how we choose what we do and where we put our money. And, you know, when you go out on your own and you create your own business, there's so much risk to it. And by having debt, by having this thing on your shoulder, you're just adding weight that you don't really need. Uh, entrepreneurship has enough risk on its own. You don't need debt to, to drag you down and getting rid of that, I think makes it, makes the risk a lot less and it makes it a lot more comfortable to be able to jump into something. And if it doesn't work, then you can come up with another plan. But you know, if you if it doesn't work and you also have a hundred thousand dollars in debt that you have to figure out, like that's rough. So that's a big thing for me that I always try to get people as hard as it is. And as much as it can delay your plans, get rid of debt if you at all possibly can past that i think um for me at least i i'm a planner i like to look ahead i like to lay things out um and have a plan where we're going and what we're going to be doing but i also am totally willing to pivot on a daily basis so you know we'll have a schedule for a couple of months laid out and we will have designed things and purchased materials. And then one day we're like, like the Katana was just a random, hey, we should do this today instead. Um, being able to pivot Which is like that. a Japanese sword? Is that a Katana? Yes. Yeah. 
Awesome. And it was made out of hardwood flooring. So it's not a useful sword, but it was just a fun thing to do. <laughs> Why not? I mean, yeah. take it out in the woods and I don't know, take out some aggression against a tree. Why not make a katana out of flooring? Yeah. But being able to pivot, you know, having having the planning there, if you need it, it's your safety net. But then being having the freedom to be able to pivot at any point, I think is a good a good way to go about it. it at least for me. Depends on your business, I suppose. Awesome. Well, um, we've loved having you on. Uh, it's been great to hear from you. Encouraging, inspiring. Guys, uh, pick up Making Time. Just really simple, thin book, very honest and practical. It will really help you in this process of figuring out, do I and can I monetize my passion? What would that process look like? Uh, Bob, you're doing a ton of stuff and we'd love to follow along. How can we follow along and learn from you? Um, everything is all uh, the podcasts and the book and the video and everything is at I like to make stuff.com. Uh, we've got a bunch of different things going on. And if you go there, you can get links to everything. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, keep having fun doing what you're doing. Uh, love what you're talking about. Love what you're doing behind it all guys. Let's, uh, follow along with Bob and encourage you to pick up the book making time. Thanks for joining us for our interview today with Bob Claggett. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that half as much as I did. I loved how practical Bob got. He's talking about things like getting debt free and how freeing that is to be able to do what you want to do and maybe even what you're called to do and that kind of weight coming off of their shoulders. He talked about multiple streams of income, that if you are launching a side hustle, if you are building that into a career, make sure you don't get locked into to one area. But I think my favorite part of this interview was servanthood. He's talking about adding value to people, not in some weird way so that, you know, secretly they'll follow you or like you on social media, track along with your stuff, buy your stuff, but literally to serve people. And I think that's one reason that, you know, Bob's stuff has gone crazy online. He's had such a huge following in the last three and a half years and will just continue, I think, to grow exponentially in that as he just keeps serving people uh, instead of promoting, instead of going and filling a selfish need. So this is a huge episode for the idea of moving from an idea or a dream into a side hustle, into a passion project, and then eventually into monetizing that passion as a full-time job. And he shares the struggles, the joys behind it, uh, but Bob is having fun in the process. And that's, that's what I love uh, about it, is you can just tell it's contagious he loves what he's doing. You can tell online that he's doing stuff that he wants to do. Why not make a katana sword out of flooring? Why not make a transformer? And uh, and I love it. His kids are growing up, seeing that their dad fully alive is doing something that that he loves doing. He talks about his journey of moving away from computers, moving away from sitting in a desk all day into the good stuff of really what he loves doing on a daily basis. So Bob's got a pretty incredible story, um, pretty incredible moments and tensions he lives within of launching this business that literally is all over the world through YouTube, millions of people, but really from his garage, from his living room. And uh, great thoughts as well on haters online that we are creating living rooms around us where people are stepping into those zones and how are we going to mitigate that? What's our response to people that may be um, hating, malicious, frustrating with some of the content the ideas that we're putting out. So this was an incredible episode. I want to encourage you to share this. If there's a friend who is dreaming of a passion project, maybe you 
are desiring to, I don't know, become a ministry coach or start writing and figure out how you can monetize blogging. Maybe you want to start a YouTube channel and you know somebody else that does. So I'm going to encourage you to hit that share button and text this, email this, screenshot this to a friend so that they can get this episode and to start following along with their process to give them some practical guardrails. We think this one will be super helpful to you guys. We want to keep giving you content that's relevant, uh, not just to life and not just to leadership, but perhaps even to your business and to your career as it grows, as it scales, and as you take more and more risks to become the people that God has created you to be. Thanks for tracking along with another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. You know we want you to review this. We keep saying it. Maybe today will be your day. Please help us get this into more earbuds and into more hearts so that we can share this message that you can indeed go the distance in your leadership without losing your soul. So thanks for joining us for another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We'll be back soon. Subscribe, rate, review, and we'll catch you on the next podcast.